Hello, and welcome to another episode of Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. So this week, I have a special treat. This week, I'll be interviewing Allison Liu. Allison Liu is a brain coach and an expert in helping women to reclaim their mental sharpness and improve their energy and mood. When she struggled with brain fog, panic attacks, and low mood in her early 50s, she felt like she was losing her sense of self. But all of that changed when she developed a holistic approach to her health, which she uses with her clients today. As a result, she increased her own brain reserve, and we're going to be asking her to tell us more about that, which improved her memory, mood, and relationships. She now coaches women in their 40s and beyond on how to achieve the same so that they can handle life's challenges with ease and face the future with confidence. Her motto? is love your brain. And without further ado, let me introduce you to Allison. Welcome to Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast with Stephanie Lee. On this show, we're going to talk about the experiences of high-achieving women and men across industries and lifestyles who are at about the midpoint in their career and are no longer satisfied to let life happen to them. Together, we're gonna purposely create the second half of our lives by addressing burnout and overwork, by getting clarity on how we're creating the experiences of our lives, including how we're keeping ourselves stuck, by articulating what it is we want for the second half of our lives and identifying a plan to achieve it. Welcome to Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. I am delighted today to introduce you to Allison Liu, who is our guest for this episode. Uh, And you've already heard a little bit about Allison's background, but I would love for her to introduce herself to you today. Allison, thank you so much for being with me. Oh, hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for the opportunity to join you on this podcast. I love talking about brain. (laughs) So, any Great. opportunity that I hope to do that is fantastic. So thank you very much. But uh, it's something that I'm now really passionate about. Um, so to be honest, when I was younger, I never really thought about my brain. You know, we hear a lot about ways to look after our heart or our skin, mm-hmm. you know, wrinkles and, you know, and, but not so much about our brain. And so my personal journey started about 10 years ago. When I was in my late 40s, leading into my early 50s, and I noticed some changes in my own mental health that were really unnerving. Mm. Uh, I found that I was making impulsive decisions that were at times worryingly dangerous. And afterwards, I've been really shaken up and think, how can I ever stop myself from making such impulsive decisions like that again? And I was becoming increasingly anxious and irritable, which was really unlike me. So by nature, I'm really positive and energetic and quite a gentle person. But I was starting to have panic attacks and would lose my temper over really petty things. And I was worried as well what people would think of work because at times I would forget what I was saying, literally right in the middle of saying it. And I'd struggle to express myself or put my thoughts together. And at times I'd have no recollection of certain meetings that taken place or uh, decisions that have been made. It's a horrible feeling. Uh, I'm a manager and I'm expected to perform uh, well in my role. And 
I was struggling. And it wasn't as though I could tell myself not to make impulsive decisions or to remember what I couldn't recall. And I think that's why it's so frightening. It felt like I couldn't control what was happening to me. Mm. And around that time, I started to be interested in natural ways to heal our body. I little um, confession here that I'm not great with medical procedures. Mm. And I, I had had um, something come up in my health uh, that really gave me a little bit of a wake up call. And so I decided that I needed to get serious about prevention. And so I started to learn various things that I could do to look after my health. And that was my health in general. I, at this point, I still didn't really know there was anything in particular that I could do about my brain. Um, but my knowledge and my understanding kind of built in there. The more I, the more I read, the more I learned. Uh, I started to reverse and change things about my health. And so over time, I made some really small changes that just started to have like a cumulative or synergistic effect. Mm. And they started then to make a really big difference. And what happened was amazing. So after a little while, I looked in the mirror and I would think, my skin looks brighter. And my my digestion started to improve. It had always been really sluggish my whole life. Mm-hmm. It was starting to get so much better. And then the brain fog lifted. And I can't mm-hmm. tell you how amazing it was to be able to think more clearly again. And then over time, my mood and my memory also started to improve. The panic attacks completely stopped. And I'm now genuinely happier. I mean, there are days, of course, like anybody, I have good days and bad days, but generally I'm happier than I was and I'm calmer. I'm no longer so irritable. And I feel like I'll back to being myself again. Uh, and ultimately, it really affected the relationships with those closest to me, uh, you know, especially my husband. He was noticing the changes as they were happening. And so, yeah, it's been. Uh, worth everything to me, really. Wow, Alison. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. That is so, that is, it's so helpful and so relatable um, to hear what you're talking about. You know, I've, I've heard so many women talk about, um, you know, this idea perhaps about, uh, you know, perimenopause and menopause perhaps uh, coinciding with a period of brain fog and really feeling um, vulnerable in the workplace when, as you said, you might lose your train of thought mid-sentence and really wondering what what this meant for them professionally. So tell me, you said that you said that you were beginning to get more interested in your health sort of at the same time. Did the challenges that you were experiencing with with your mental health, did they precipitate your interest in looking up these, you know, becoming more involved in, in health matters and doing more reading? Or were those things that just simply began to coincide? Yeah, they kind of began to coincide. I think, like I say, I didn't really know much about my brain. I Mm -hmm. didn't really know of anything that I could do. I wasn't even really looking, I don't think, so Mm. I didn't have things in particular. Um, One thing that, except uh, there was one thing that was, uh, really got my attention was I was getting migraines and uh, they were becoming worse and okay. more frequent. And, you know, there's nothing quite like pain right. uh, to focus your attention. attention. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so that really, I think, was the um, catalyst for looking in our brain health area as well, because I just wanted to see was there anything I could do. I was taking medications that really made me feel awful, mm. I mean, really awful. Uh, whenever I had a migraine and it was kind of like, I'd take it and then think, I don't ever want to take that again, you know? Yes, so, yeah, yes. I kind of really wanted to uh, do something myself, whatever I could. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Amazing. Well, good for you for, for doing that and for taking care of yourself in that way. So I, I would love it if you could tell our listeners, and our listeners are are primarily women in their 40s and 50s who may think that that some of these things, um, you know, are down the road for them. But I, w- I would love for them to hear a little bit about the things that they might be uh, able to look at today that'll make a difference to their brain health as they're beginning to age. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, as as well, one of the things that I, I would say is mm-hmm. That it's it's small changes over mm. time can can really make a big difference, and you know sometimes I think we we wish most of us wish that we were a bit like a jump jet <laughs> when it comes to wanting something different for our health. For sure, We're kind of catapulted uh, from into a new state from where we are to where we'd like to be, but it kind of doesn't really work like that. So for for change to be lasting we kind of really have to rewire our brain. So our brain likes things the way they are. It likes autopilot. Mm. So it takes really intentional effort to form those new neural pathways uh, as we form new habits. So making genuine habit changes more like a jumbo jet taking off. You know, there's a whole lot of throttle initially just to get that thing moving. Um, but then it runs along the one way and it just goes on and on and on. And you kind of think, oh my goodness, is it going to run out of runway or will it this thing ever take off? And then it does. And it, that really was how it was for me. So I made those small changes over time. And, but I honestly think that the most important thing for me was that I had like a really strong one. Why was it important to keep going? And then over time, those new things then become so routine that you don't then even think about them anymore. You know, I just do them now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I now have daily habits that support my health and my brain that I'm really intentional about. Um, and my life has changed so much for the better that there's no way that I want to go back to how I was living before. So I'm talking about things like being careful about what I'm eating. Uh, mm-hmm. Being very intentional about moving more, um, being super intentional about not living with chronic stress and understanding mm. just the negative impact that that has on our lives. And, you know, we all can experience, um, you know, short periods of stress. That's really common. Sure. But I'm now really committed that actually I, I can't, I won't tolerate being in a chronically stressful situation anymore. Oh, I've been there. I've done that. And yes. I'm kind of like, it's not good for my health. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, these things, they're not necessarily uh, new. 
you know, people, mm-hmm. I think for me, what I understand now is the impact that these things can have on our brain. And that just gives me the extra impetus mm. to kind of keep going and, and, you know, and enjoy what I'm doing because I know that everything that I'm doing is just helping my brain to function better. So oh, there's, there's so much there. Progress. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. There's so much you said there, Allison, that I, that I want to ask you about. But first, tell me if you would, you said your, your want, you needed the want to be there. So, so why, why should the listener be worried about his or her brain health? Okay. So I think for a lot of us, um, we kind of just think that memory loss is Mm -hmm. an inevitable part of aging. My own grandmother had dementia. And watching the slow decline of someone you love to a disease like that is devastating. Um, but it's not true that memory mm. loss is an inevitable part of aging. And although they're very common memory issues, mm-hmm. they're not normal. And there's actually so much that we can do to prevent and slow down the progression of cognitive decline. And brain aging doesn't happen overnight. It's a super gradual process. In fact, brain scan images show that the early signs of dementia can be seen in the brain decades before a diagnosis. Wow. Most people are completely unaware of that. Absolutely. Going through the menopause and actually lowers something that I call brain reserves. And it kind of makes us more vulnerable to memory loss and mood issues. That's why often as we go through the menopause, people really get that brain fog. They Uh can have really low mood, that kind of thing. So that reserve has gone a bit long. And, you know, so really when we're in our 50s and 60s, if not even earlier than that, actually we really need to be thinking about our brain health, especially going into our older years. So if somebody lives until 85, Mm -hmm. they have a nearly 50% chance of being diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease or other forms of astounding. Yeah, I'm not sure even if you've, noticed how more and more people are being oh, yes. with dementia. Mm-hmm. Currently, it's about 55 million people worldwide. That's set to more than double to 139 million uh, by 2050. Wow. And so if you're anyone like me, you're not mm-hmm. okay with that. You know, no. those, odds, those odds are really bad, especially as we're living longer. And I don't want a 50% chance of losing my mind. Mm-hmm. I can't start thinking about that when I'm in my 80s. Yes. I need to be thinking about that now. And the earlier you start to be intentional about care of your brain, uh, the more likely you're going to be to push out uh, any negative views. The, the problem is that there's so much stigma attached to memory loss yes. as it puts our capability into question. That often what we do is hide the things that we start to notice in ourselves, or we quickly dismiss them, or we joke about the changes. You know, we say things like, oh, I have to get my hand if it wasn't screwed on, or if we get frustrated when we go upstairs or we go into a room and we can't remember why on earth we've gone there. Yeah. Or, you know, we feel mortified because we're missing appointments when we've always been so reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having a bit of an analogy. If you can imagine a tanker at sea and it's on a particular course, and that's like the health of our brain as we age. 
And okay. you want to be heading in a good direction. But if you're not, then you might see a lighthouse flashing in the distance. And those are the early warning signs that you need to make adjustments to change your course. And if you don't, the outcome isn't great. However, if you do, then you can start to avert that danger. And so, you know, our, our body and our brains have an amazing capacity to self-heal mm. a half a chance. And so we just need to, we need to understand what that half a chance looks like for us and then take action because, you know, ultimately our brain makes us who we are. It's everything. Mm. You know, it's how we think, how we feel. Uh, it's our personality, it's our character, the organ of our intelligence and our memories. So, you know, it's it's so important. Uh, we can't afford not to. Mm. I think it w- what you're saying makes so much sense. You know, I think about um, the comments that, pe- that people make these days, you know, really feeling that these things are inevitable, that it has become you know, an an inevitable side effect, as it were, of aging, that we're going to experience memory loss and that perhaps a large portion of us will experience dementia Um, and and the stigma that that is associated with that and the hesitancy to tell your friends and family, you know, these are some things I'm observing within myself. I um, listened to an interview this week. It it was from January on the Huberman Lab. with he was interviewing Sarah Gottfried, who's a, a OBGYN in medical practice, and she was talking about a number of things related to women's health. But she made one comment that that stood out to me in light of our upcoming conversation. And she said, and I don't remember if she was speaking about Alzheimer's or dementia more generally, but she said, you know, Alzheimer's is not a disease of the latter stages of our life. It is a disease of midlife, and that is that is where you can take action to really change that trajectory. That's just so compelling. Yeah, absolutely. You see, the medical system is Mm -hmm. geared more towards treatment than prevention. Yes. And so it's not unheard of for somebody to go to their doctor with concerns Mm -hmm. about their memory to be told it's just a normal part of aging and not to work. For sure. Five, 10, 15 years down the line, they then get a diagnosis of dementia. But the really sad thing is, Actually, they could have been taking mm. for those years, all those years. years to slow down the progression, if not reverse the course that they were on. Um, so, mm. yeah, it's really, really important. So tell us, what, what could we be doing now to protect our brains, to think about, uh, you know, preserving our, our mental health and our brain health? Yeah. So, <clears throat> firstly, what I would say is if anyone is struggling with mental health, mm-hmm. it really is essential to seek help on the skilled medical health sure. I I really would encourage people not to put that off. Yes. However, alongside that, there's also so many things, so many things that we can do to adopt a healthier dietary and lifestyle habits that can build our brain reserve. Uh, and I would say that it's, uh, never too early or too late to start mm. taking care of your brain. <clears throat> it will always help. But the sooner, the earlier we do, the better, the better the outcome. Yes. So uh, many factors can impact on how our brain functions. And there have been identified by 11 risk factors that can harm the brain. 
And it's really important to just make sure that we address each one. So if okay. somebody exercises a lot, but doesn't sleep very well, eats a whole mm. person's diet and smokes, then their brain's still going to struggle to function optimally. So we just want to make sure to try to do our best in each of these 11 risk factors. So okay. to remember them, I use the Amen Clinic's Bright Mind Mnemonic. Okay, so I mm -hmm. uh, can go through each of those. So B please is for blood flow. So that's looking at how to boost blood flow to our brain because the brain is um, the most energy hungry organ in our body. Uh, it takes, it's only 2% of the weight of the body, but it takes 20% of the body's blood flow and oxygen and 20 to 30% of the blood is body's glucose, sorry, it is the most energy hungry organ. So we really need to make sure that we do everything that we can to make sure that it gets that blood flow, oxygen and nutrients that it needs. And so and all, there are two things there. One is to make sure that we keep moving and uh, movement really okay. important. And then the other one is to uh, reduce any factors that are impacting on blood flow. So that's things like high blood pressure, um, high um, bad LDL cholesterol, um, hardening of arteries, mm. all of those kinds of things that limit blood flow. Um, so R uh, is for retirement and aging. Uh, so your brain is a muscle and we either use it or lose it, uh, literally. And mm. so what you want to do is make sure that you're regularly giving your brain a really good workout. And, uh, you know, there, there are two ways to do that. One of them is that, you know, you can either do something that you currently do and do more complicated versions of it. That's good, but it's okay. as good as learning new things. So uh, being really intentional to carry on learning uh, as you get older is so, so important. Again, the, the uh, more you can do that as you age, uh, the mm. better. So would this be like learning a foreign language or learning a new instrument or some Sudoku or, or some of these other things? Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah, where you're having to uh, form new neural paths in your brain, uh, learning new things, yeah. Um, and then uh, eyes for inflammation. So uh, looking at ways to calm down chronic inflammation in order to protect the brain. So, you know, People know when they've got chronic inflammation, it's often when painful, you can have mm. things like irritable bowel or Crohn's disease, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, asthma, eczema, all mm. of those are signs of chronic inflammation. Um, but what people are maybe not so aware is that, that uh, chronic inflammation actually impacts on the brain as well. So doing what we can to calm that down. Um, then G stands for genetics. And uh, the fact really is that genes can load the gun. Mm. Uh, but it's how we live and the environment that we're exposed to that actually pulls the trigger. So it's not a genes are not a death sentence, but they are a bit of a wake up call. And, you know, where we have a genetic susceptibility, then we want to be even more intention mm. uh, to take action to look after our health. Uh, so if you have a very close family member uh, with uh, Alzheimer's or dementia, it means that somebody needs to be even more intentional 
that came into their brain. Uh, H is for head trauma. Uh, so looking at protecting your brain from injury. Uh, again, most people won't realize, but the, the brain is very soft. Uh, it's the consistency of soft butter. Um, but it's housed in a, in a hard skull, obviously, to protect it. But there are some sharp bony ridges uh, in the skull. And also, the brain floats in cerebrospinal fluid. And so what can happen when we're in an injury is the brain moves inside the skull um, and mm -hmm. then can get damaged. And so, you know, uh, that would, so when we're looking at head trauma, we're looking at ways to prevent it, you know, uh, what, what can we do um, to be more intentional and then think before we do some action and then put our brain first, really. Um, so, I, you know, let me give you an example. Um, the, um, I live in a townhouse, so it's got two flights of stairs. So when the mm. postman uh, rings on the, the doorbell, I want to go and answer it pretty quickly. And as I'm going down the stairs super quickly, I'm thinking to myself, don't be foolish. You know, I hold on to the banister rail. I'm being really conscious about how I'm going down the stairs so that I don't slide down and bang my head on my way down. Um, so it's just those kind of things. Uh, M's is for mental health. Uh, so looking at ways, how can we improve our mood and kill the thoughts really that make us feel sad, mad, nervous, mm. or out of control or anxious? Um, you know, mental health can actually have quite a profound impact on the health of our brain. It's kind of like, um, yeah, so the physical functioning of the brain obviously can affect mental health. I, I often use the analogy of like a computer. So the physical brain is like the hard drive and mental health is like the software. And, you know, when, when the hard drive isn't functioning optimally, then the software can't run as well as it could. Um, and, and vice versa. So I think mental health can have a profound impact on the health of our brain. Okay. Um, chronic stress actually being a case in point. Um, mm. I is for immunity and infections. Um, so looking at ways to strengthen our immune system to fight off infections. So, you know, for anybody if they've struggled with uh, long COVID or having Lyme disease or something like that, they'll know the impact that infections can have on uh, their cognitive function and health of their brain. And so looking at ways to really strengthen our immune system, uh, make sure that it's lovely and strong to protect us. Um, yeah. So N is for neurohormone deficiencies. So we have hundreds of hormones in the bodies, but body, but certain ones impact on the particularly impact on the function of the brain. And so we want to look at ways then of optimizing those and, you know, making sure that we've got those within really good uh, levels. Um, diabetes is D. Uh, and how to control blood sugar mm. and weight. And, you know, this is, this can be a really hard one uh, for people to hear. Uh, we have to think of sugar as such a treat, <laughs> but on, right. on average, uh, we're eating way more than is recommended. Uh, in the NHS, 
that's the National Health Service in the UK. Uh, they would recommend people don't eat any more than 30 grams of sugar a day. That's actually one of the highest uh, ones. A lot of countries are saying more in the 25 grams a day. Um, okay. uh, but the average Brit actually eats about 100 grams a day. And I think most people would uh, hear that and kind of think, wow, I don't eat 100 grams a day. <laughs> but actually... You'd be so surprised because there's so much hidden sugar now coming in our processed foods that and in drinks that, that people are eating way more than they're aware they're eating. Um, but you know, sugar impacts on several of these risk factors that I'm talking about. Yes, um, on more than one. And so, you know, when when sugar levels are high, then that's several several risk factors that are being impacted. Um, so, you know, if somebody really wants to prevent cognitive decline as they age, then as they age, then they really would say they need to get their weight and blood sugar under control. Um, and then S is for sleep issues. So uh, how we can prioritize and improve sleep, which I know can be a real challenge uh, for women going through the menopause. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, looking at various different ways and tactics that we can use to improve sleep. So let me, if you would, Alison, let's walk, let's walk back through those real quickly so we can make note of those again. You said it was bright minds is your mnemonic. So B is? Blood flow. Blood flow. Right? B-R? Yeah. Mm-hmm. R, retirement and aging. Okay. I is inflammation. Inflammation. Okay. Yeah. G is genetics. Mm. All right. H is for head trauma. Okay. T is for toxins. Oh, I missed toxins. Oh, I'm very sorry. So toxins. Say a little bit about that. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Uh, toxins can get into our bodies in three different ways. So no, we can inhale them. They can, they can get into our body through our skin mm-hmm. and we can ingest them. So we, mm. and, uh, and so just looking at uh, various things that we can do to reduce our exposure, um, you know, since the industrial revolution, it's been estimated that there are about 80,000 chemicals have been introduced into our environment. And that's a lot that our bodies have to cope with detoxifying. Yes. Um, so, you know, this one's a two-pronged approach. One, how can we reduce our exposure to toxins? And then how can we support our detox systems uh, to do the job as, as well as they can? Yeah, sorry, I forgot to use Oh, no, no um, worries. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to, to the mnemonic minds, was yes, mental health? Yes, mental health, yeah. Uh, I is immunity and infections. Mm-hmm. N is neurohormone deficiencies. Uh, D is for diabetes, obesity, and S is for sleep issues. All right, awesome. Well, that's I mean that's that's eleven very actionable areas for folks to take a look at. You know, so many of um, my clients and the listeners talk a lot about burnout at this stage of their lives, really just, um, you know, being in a place where they're, they're feeling terribly burned out. And so could you say a little bit more about the impact of chronic stress um, 
on our brains and, and what, what that is. Yeah, absolutely. So um, chronic stress uh, just impacts our health in so many ways. So it causes an imbalance in our gut microbiome. Uh, so it kind of it causes an increase in the the bad bugs uh-huh. and a decrease in the good bugs, which you really don't want. You kind of want to have a nice, healthy microbiome. It causes an imbalance in our hormones, um, and uh, that's in in various ways. Uh, so let's just say, for example, um, when we are chronically stressed, uh, our bodies and metabolism is like higher. Yeah, yes. we're amped up. And so the thyroid uh, is there to kind of regulate metabolism. And so it then gets the message, oh, we've got way too much going on around here. I'm going to pull back and cut back on thyroid hormone production uh, mm. in order to compensate. And so that's just one way in which chronic stress can cause an imbalance in our hormones. Um, it affects our sleep um, it, because, you know, often when people are chronically stressed, you know, what happens is that the, the body, uh, and the body is just amazing, that's best of all, um, but, you know, if we're stressed, the, the body thinks that we need to fight or flee. Mm. And so at that time, of course, it's not going to let us go to sleep. Ouch. It's not going to let us digest our food and it's not going to let us start making babies. You know, and so it kind of shuts down all all of those things in order that you should be able to fight or flee for your life. Um, and so, in a way, that's why it's really affecting our sleep. People often can't get to sleep, and then even if they do eventually get to sleep, then often then they can wake up and having those anxious thoughts. So, yeah, um, and it causes weight gain, uh, especially around the middle, um, and so. Uh, that again can upset the balance of our hormones, um, and it lowers our immunity, making us more vulnerable to infections. Um, so, yeah, it, there's several ways that that chronic stress and um, impacts on us. Yeah, um, it it sounds like it touches on several several of those eleven. That's right. Yeah, that's so right. important. Yeah, and again, when you when you understand it from a brain health perspective, it kind of for me it just made me even more uh, determined. I think that I wasn't do that. I would do whatever I could uh, mm-hmm. not to be in a chronically stressful situation again. Um, yeah, because it is so horrible. Um, the the other thing that it does that I was really shocked to find out, and you know, and I don't say this in the sense to to scare or worry people, but I think it's really important that we understand the, the consequences on our brain. Um, basically, chronic stress can alter the structure and function of our brain. Um, mm. So there are uh, two parts of our brain particularly at play. The first is the parts, the prefrontal cortex, that helps us to make really good decisions, to think things through. Um, but it's really slow, you know. Um, that's the part of the brain that you would use writing a journal or, you know. Yes, yes. Um, uh, whereas you've got the uh, in your deep limbic system, you've got the amygdala, and what that does is like lightning fast, you know. It will react uh, to um, in, fear, in fearful situations, again, to keep you safe. Um, but what can happen is that those two should be nicely in balance with each other. 
and for the most part, the prefrontal cortex nicely in control, and the other one just alerts when it needs to. But what happens in chronic stress is that the amygdala can become stronger, and mm. it actually has additional neurons growing uh, inside that part of the brain that, that makes it stronger. And it kind of weakens then that connection with the prefrontal cortex. And, and then, you know, what we can do is end up um, that the chronic stress and the anxiety is kind of, it's, it's self-perpetuating, you know, um, and then the, the yeah. more reasonable part of the brain finds it harder to, to get control again. And that isn't, uh, it seems reversible, but it, it takes hard work um, because you have to retrain uh, the brain back into that right kind of function. So again, it just gives that extra impetus to to do what we can. For sure, for sure. Stress has become so. It's almost like not just acceptable. It's almost like um, it, it, it's expecting. To, <laughs> oh, it is. It is. You know, I, I think we've gotten to a place where we've we've normalized it. Yeah. You know, and exactly. and we and we think that. If we're, um, if we're if we're not not having it anymore, that if we're declining to participate in chronic stress, that that we're a special snowflake, you know, um, in in some way. And I, th- I think it's so important for us to remember um, that this it has lasting consequences. You know, it isn't just yeah. it isn't just about today. It's about it's about our tomorrow, professionally and personally, and what that looks like. Uh, all down the line, and our families and our friends and those relationships. It's just yeah. so important. It really is. And it, and what I notice as well is that um, women can often feel really bad about yes. taking time for themselves or doing things that they enjoy. Um, however, it's so important uh, as a way of redressing that stress and finding the balance again. So I'm not sure we've never noticed, but, you know, when children and animals play, they mm-hmm. have ages and they're like having fun. But as soon as they feel fearful, um, yes. they, they stop playing and playing mm. with us. So if we kind of want to help our mind to switch off from a stressful situation, then one thing that we can do is call out time every day to love, play and rest. Mm. It's so important. What it does is it signals to our brain that all is well. Um, and, you know, during one of the most stressful times in my life, um, yes. I watched an episode of Friends every day. Yes. And it just made me laugh out loud, you know. It was yes. so helpful to cut through that stress. Um, and, you know, so people did things like, you know, sing and dance to some upbeat music or play a game after work or play a card game or board game with your family. or do a puzzle, spend time in the garden, go for a walk. It does a bit of whatever would be fun and restful and genuinely help your mind to switch off. I can't emphasize enough um, how important it is. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And so accessible. You were talking about watching an episode of Friends. I mean, surely all of us can figure out how to watch a funny TV show yeah. to relax. Absolutely. And and of course, I love the other suggestions you mentioned as well. But I think we are prone to shaming ourselves for needing to take time to kind of relax and kick back. And and, and you're providing some wonderful reasons not only for, not only for ourselves, but for for those around us for us to take take care of ourselves in that way. Yeah, 
So tell me, Allison, well, how do you work with your clients? What, what, when do they usually seek out your help and, and what does that relationship look like? Okay. So, um, like I mentioned before, there's that, that period of time, like right now at midlife, mm-hmm. where we can really start taking some action. So, uh, what I do is I, I'll take, um, the clients through just some initial assessments. And what we do with that is we're wanting to find out, okay, where are they at right now? Yeah. Uh, which of those 11 risk factors are particular, particular risk for them? We're all different. So, you know, whatever the risks are for me, it's going to be different for somebody else. So uh, we then come up with a work together on a bespoke plan. Um, and so we're looking at ways to uh, reduce their areas of greatest risk. Um, and, you know, it's a really tailored approach. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so it's just really important thing to understand that, you know, there, there are medicines mm-hmm. that are coming in out for dementia, but some of them can have, like, really significant side effects. Mm. They don't cure it or reverse it. Um, they can only slow it down. So again, just taking that action now is just a really important thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I mentioned before, it's like really helping women to make those changes and to make them stick. You know, Mm. uh, one of the things that that I I say is that my greatest aim is Mm -hmm. to help women fall in love with their brain because Mm. when they do, they'll be committed to doing the things to protect it. And yeah, so helping them to realize just how amazing it is. Yes, yes. So if if you were to tick off just a few things that that a listener might begin to to look at in their their life and sort of spin the dial to improve uh, some of their, their brain health now, what might you suggest that they pay some attention to? Okay. Well, certainly I would say, like I've mentioned before, really trying to get control of how much sugar you eat. Yes. Um, I, I do this, uh, I've got this um, sugar fast program, uh-huh. 40-day sugar fast, and it's, it's not so much, I don't think the, the aim of it so much is just about not having sugar, but it's uh-huh. helping people to become more sugar aware. So I encourage people to, okay, start looking at labels. Um, You know, when you go to a restaurant, look at the menus or find out in advance before you go um, and and learn because actually, like I say, you know, we have no idea about the sugar and some of the things that we eat. So I would say becoming sugar aware now. Um, And, you know, really doing everything we can to protect our sleep. When we don't sleep well, everything feels worse um, mm. and again that has that contributes to the um to that chronic stress uh, because often when we don't sleep well what happens is we wake up the next day we feel exhausted and we think oh my goodness i just need a strong cup of coffee to get me going um we often have a poor breakfast maybe a bowl of cereal and a slice of toast with jam and outdoor then in the morning we get that sugar crash, you know? right? And uh, so we have some cake or biscuits or something to kind of bring it all back up again. Then we have lunch in a rush, 
And, uh, you know, often eating at a desk, not really taking that time to eat properly, possibly get another sugar low again in the afternoon, get to the end of the day and kind of think I'm, you know, flitted for one thing to that. I'm being super, super busy, but I'm not actually sure what I've got done. So yes. then over dinner, you kind of think, oh my goodness, I just want a glass of wine to unwind from the stress mm-hmm. of it all. So I have a glass of wine or two. Uh, you know, sit in front of the telly, go to bed late, don't sleep mm. very well, and we're back on that cycle again. And so one of the things I would say as well is just really trying to break that cycle. Um, and sleep is is a really important one in that mix. So sleep and sugar might be some entry points. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. So something you touched on there that that we haven't talked about yet on this episode is is both caffeine and alcohol. And I know those are those are question marks for people because they're they're well beloved <laughs> in many ways. So so how how what should be we be aware of when it comes to to both caffeine and alcohol as we think about our brain health? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of confusion. Uh, mm-hmm. About the two, you know, you, you'll read things like, you know, oh, a glass of red wine a day is really beneficial. Right. And then you have somebody else saying, no, you drink, drink, go watch. And the same with coffee. Coffee is good for your brain, bad for your brain, you know, and, and mm-hmm. using messages out there. Um, so, you know, I'm, again, I'm coming at things, you know, really from a brain health perspective. Um, one thing that we do know is that caffeine can reduce blood flow to the brain by about okay. 30%. So, you know, I, I would say that, you know, if you're going to have um, um, coffee in the day, you know, look at, consider how many that you're having and mm. how strong you're having them. You know, can you switch to decant? Um, you know, what are, what are the things you can do? Can you, can you pull back on the number a little bit, mm-hmm. make them not as strong? Um, so that's one thing I would say um, about caffeine also. You know, we use caffeine again to kind of give us that extra energy, but actually it doesn't give us energy at all. Um, all it's doing is it's stimulating the adrenal glands to pump out more stress hormones. Yeah. So, yes. you know, if, if we're already quite stressed and we start the day with, with strong coffee, we're just adding to the load. Um, and so, you know, if somebody is struggling with chronic stress, I, I probably would really encourage them to think about their caffeine consumption full stop mm-hmm. because until they they've calmed that stress down, it is just holding to the load. Um, so that's what I would say about coffee or caffeine. Okay. Um, and then when it comes to alcohol, also um, can restrict blood flow to the brain. Mm. Um, and so again, moderating it. Uh, it also has an impact on the liver. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, the liver has to detoxify it um, from the body. And, you know, for as much alcohol as we're having, so the liver will, is very selective. It will prioritize uh, what, it, what it deals with first. And okay. if it's something that's come into our body from the outside, it'll, it'll deal with that over something that's produced within our body. So it, it will always prioritize alcohol. Um, but, you know, a lot of women can be uh, be producing too much estrogen. Mm-hmm. And so the liver should be dealing with that, packaging it up and, and getting it out of the body. But it won't if we're having the alcohol. And so it's just kind of, 
making sure maybe not to have it every day, mm-hmm. um, have it maybe as an occasional treat. And then again, just just being mindful about how much you have. You know, if you're going for an evening out, you know, maybe have a, a glass of something and then a glass of water, you know, mm. and yes, uh, you know, and it's um, so that you're not feeling like you can't have it anymore, um, but it's not having as much of an impact. Uh, it's also it actually has a particular impact on uh, the cerebellum, the back part of the particular brain. Um, the cerebellum really doesn't like alcohol. So interesting. Yeah. Allison, this has been this has been great. This has been so very informative. I appreciate it so much. Um, if a listener wants to reach out to you, uh, know a little bit more about how to find you, how can they find you? Oh, yeah, no, that would be wonderful. So, yeah, if anybody wants inspiration and support on a journey to a healthier, happier, and less stressed brain, yes, I really would invite them to book a call with me at alisonlewcoaching.com. Um, if they use the code uh, N-Y-N-N, not your mama's midlife, yes. 23, um, uh, when they book the call, then they'll get a free coaching session with me. And if they oh, wonderful. it makes sense to work with me afterwards, then we can talk about that later. But what I really want to make sure is that in that coaching session, they are able to move forward towards improving their mood and memory and their mental sharpness. Um, and so, yeah, I would tell your listeners, they're not stuck with the brain they have, they can make it better. And it really would be a privilege to support them on that journey. I'd love to connect with them. Oh, that's awesome. And we will include the link to your website as well as that code in the podcast description on both YouTube and the podcast players so that you all can find that easily and, and reach out to Allison if that's something that appeals to you. Uh, this has just simply been wonderful. I'll also include, let me mention, I'll also include links to Allison's LinkedIn and Instagram as well so that you can check her out and follow her for some great content on um, brain health. So Allison, thank you so very much. Before we wrap this up, is there anything else that you would you would like to share with the listener? Anything we haven't touched on that you'd like to say? Um, I suppose in closing, I, I would just say if there's one thing to ask yourself, it's, is this good for my brain or mm. bad for my brain? And then make decisions that are good for it. You're worth it. Um, your brain is everything that you are. And so, yeah, do what you can to look comfortable. Yes, that's wonderful. Such an important reminder. Well, Alison, thank you so very much. I appreciate it. Oh, Stephanie, it really has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. I think you're providing an amazing resource with your Not Your Mama's Midlife podcast. And yeah, honestly, Thank you. I love what you're doing in empowering women to live well in midlife and beyond. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. Well, I just want to say thank you again to Allison Liu for joining us on the podcast. Um, I don't know about you all, but I really was just convicted once again of the importance of uh, paying attention to the factors that she talked about. You know, I, th- I think a lot about um, setting up the structures in our life that we want to be in place for the second half of our life. And, and this is, this is a cornerstone of that, right? It's, it's not only my, my physical body and what, what I want from my physical body for the second half of my life and sort of thinking about how, how to plan for that. 
um, but also how to how to plan for good mental health and good brain health. Because I do think so many of us think a really significant cognitive decline is is just simply inevitable. It's it's just the price we pay for living as long as we do these days. Um, but that's that's not true. The other thing that that is also driven home to me by Allison's comments is the imp- not only, you know, when we talk about our physical health, we think exercise and and brain health are utterly different things. And they're not, you know, that first factor blood flow movement um, is so incredibly important to our brains. So every time you get out there and take that walk and get yourself moving, you know, you're doing something for your brain. Uh, and it it matters. It makes such a big difference. Uh, as Allison talked about, you know, her own journey from really feeling, um, you know, not good in the world to to feeling like she has not only turned that around for herself, but she's now in a position as a brain coach trained by the Amen Institute to to assist other people with making those same changes in their own life. Something else that I want to circle around on. Uh, you all will know that last week I aired an episode talking about not needing to make yourself wrong when you want to make a change, that it's not beneficial to us to to shame on ourselves or to fuss at ourselves or to talk about how I did this wrong and now I need to to do something else to change and how, you know, we're all wired that way. We all have this tendency to think we need to... Pr- pursue change by first making ourselves wrong where we are today. And as Allison was talking about things like, and it came to mind for me, particularly she talked about sleep, exercise. What else was one of the others that kind of came to mind? Oh, sugar. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Thinking about how easy it would be for all of us to say, well, gosh, I was wrong. You know, I ate too much sugar. I've been really bad about that. And now I need to get my act together. Or I have played fast and loose with my sleep for all of these years. And now I've really got to turn that around. And that kind of um, attitude, I would suggest, isn't actually helpful for helping you to make the changes to these different 11 factors that she talked about. How can you instead Take a look at the way that you have shown up in your life so far, however you have handled your sleep, however you have indulged in sugar or alcohol or coffee or not exercised or anything like that. How can you just recognize it's where you were at the time and love yourself for it and honor that part of you, but not feel like you need to make it wrong to now make some of these changes in these 11 areas today? Because I would suggest to you that you are so much better equipped to make the changes you want to make when you're not fussing on yourself about them. So stop fussing on yourself. Again, I will include all of the um, ways to contact Allison, that her website, as well as that promotional code for the free session. I'm going to include all of that in the show notes on the podcast player, as well as YouTube. This has been a great informative episode. I hope that you have enjoyed it as much as I have. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. And I hope you'll join me back here next week for more of this content, talking about how we can optimize ourselves for the second half of our life, what it is setting ourselves up for the second half of our lives. It's been a pleasure to chat with you this week, and I look forward to doing so again soon. Bye. Bye.